Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of This Week Explained. I'm Kervin, and Tiana is feeling a little under the weather today, so I decided just to cut a real quick solo introduction. Now, you are not going to want to miss the conversation we had at the Can We Please Talk podcast. Two amazing hosts, Mike and Nick, wonderful, wonderful guys. They made us feel so comfortable. Uh, it was just such a great episode. We dove into uh, the recent decision by the Colorado Supreme Court, booting Trump off the Republican primary ballots. Um, and then in the second half of the episode, they were kind enough to allow us to do what we do best, and that's cover geopolitics. We unpacked China's plan to reunify Taiwan. Uh, this was a topic that Xi Jinping himself discussed with President Biden at the recent summit in San Francisco. So big shout out to Mike and Nick for having us on the show. If you haven't checked out Can We Please Talk yet, you are missing out. It is in my rotation of podcasts that I listen to every week. These guys discuss politics in a way that's both refreshing, it's non-discriminatory, it steers clear of that usual one side is right, the other is wrong vibe that usually happens. So it's, I mean, chatting with these guys is like just chatting with old friends over a, a cup of coffee. We, we didn't get into arguments, we it didn't get into a shouting match, we, we had different opinions in certain areas and we were able to to have those opinions form those opinions and have that put out there without you know the what happens on twitter a lot of times which is you put out an opinion and then a hundred people go and tell you why you're wrong that's not what happened in this episode we had an absolute blast we are stoked about hopefully continuing this collaboration we'll do more crossovers with those guys uh if if they want to, they're always free to come on our show because I, I think that what they do coincides a lot with the, what we do and then the way that we present information. This was our uh, a first, I would say, for, for our podcast to do this crossover. But the end result was just fantastic. Uh, that's a testament to the whole team at Can We Please Talk. They're so gracious and, and providing all of this and providing a platform for our show. So if you if you listen to This Week Explain, but you're also a political or maybe a current events junkie, Can We Please Talk is the show for you. So buckle up for the greatest crossover of 2023. And when you're done, wherever you listen to podcasts, head over, subscribe to Can We Please Talk. Let's catch more of their fantastic content. Trust me, guys, you're not going to be disappointed. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, well, first, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. You're listening to this episode. Christmas just passed. We're right in the week in between here, Christmas and New Year's. And we didn't want to leave you guys and gals out there who listen to the program without some content. So recently, we recorded an episode with Kervin and Tiana, the host of This Week Explained. It's a fantastic podcast. I want you to go listen to it wherever you get your pods. And they're a geopolitics podcast. They dive into everything 
that's happening with the war in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, they'll, they'll tell you about why things matter with respect to China's aggression and plan towards Taiwan and how it affects the global economy, et cetera, et cetera. And Kerbin is a former military uh, analyst and, and worked uh, for the U.S. military in a couple different positions. And his wife is the layperson. You know, the person that is sitting there and asking the questions that maybe are not, you know, like structurally the way a journalist would ask, but they're the way the common person wants to find out more about what is happening with our military and and what's happening with, you know, foreign policy and why it matters and why it's important. Uh, Nick, you know, first of all, Merry Christmas to you. Um, But this uh, this week explained we did this crossover event. We went on on their show, so we kind of told them a little bit about what we do, right? Interviewing journalists and correspondents and getting back to right, wrong versus R&D and, and what our show is about. Uh, what do you make of our, our little crossover experiment here? And the topics that we break down, too, which we talked about Trump and the recent Colorado Supreme Court ruling, and then we talked about China and Taiwan. But what do you make of our, our little crossover pod event here with the folks over at This Week Explained? For anyone who ever watched, like checks checks out recently on YouTube, obviously my you know, my library is up to date in terms of the background and stuff. You know, a third of the, this library is comic books and graphic novels. I'm I'm all for crossovers. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I grew up with that stuff. So, you know, I, I laughed a little bit when you referred to it that way because it's true. It's like we operate in our own universe. You know, we've got friends out there, and merging that together, you know, for the mutual benefit of our respective audiences and getting a chance for new audiences to learn about who we are, I mean, hell, I mean, Marvel and DC have been doing that forever. So, yeah, that's not, that's, that's old hat for me. Um, but I was appreciative just for a different structure. You know, you were mentioned about, you know, the way Kirby and Tiana work together for their show. Um, and it's appreciative. It's, you know, it's a, I like for one, it's like hearing other people than you and I talk obviously, but also, you know, what, what Kirvin brings in terms of just that geopolitical background, we've talked to folks who've done, at least in the journalism space, that kind of work of you know being overseas. But when we're talking about like making sense of intelligence, that's a whole nother universe. And to have someone, you know, being able to ask questions really from an outsider's perspective. I, I mean, like the show to me is like a walking literacy moment. We talk about this on our program all the time. We ask those questions of can you kind of unpack this for us, you know, as the layperson, you know, Tiana plays that role, at least for the show. And it makes for a really just helpful conversation because it's every episode is like, tell me about blank, right? Like that seems to be sort of the structure. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having a chance to just for the four of us just to just kick back and talk about respective programs, but also do it from the lens of both a local situation, not local, but domestically, and also from a foreign affairs standpoint, which feeds into our respective wheelhouses. Yeah, no, I, I, I love doing it. I love their show. You can go check it out, listen to it wherever you get your pods. And we make some really good points and especially break down why China is the biggest threat or adversary that we're facing right now. We talk about, you know, some parallels between times in the late 30s going into the 40s and the axes that were kind of forming and these alliances that were forming and what we're seeing now play out. And then Nick and I do our bread and butter and we kind of break down a little bit more of the recent ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court. Uh, against Donald Trump? And will that actually uh, stand up uh, once it gets to the Supreme Court here in the coming weeks? So enjoy your holiday break. 
and take a listen to when we had the folks over at This Week Explained on our little crossover event. We'll see everybody with new episodes in the new year. For for now, enjoy our crossover event with the folks over at This Week Explained. All right, we are joined with the host of This Week Explained, Kervin Tiana. My co-host Nick Savary is here. Good to see you guys. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for having us on. This is super exciting for our podcast. Uh, I hope it's exciting for you guys. And I know we're going to bring some awesome stuff to the to the audience today. <laughs> oh, we're going to try. Yeah, right, right. we're going to try. Exactly. We are going to try. Tiana, it's good. It's good to meet you. I always hear your voice on these episodes. I, I was telling Nick, and we're going to get into each other's shows. But what I love about you guys' show is you play this. Well, you don't play. You are this layperson on the show. So you uh, kind of ask questions that are very novice based. Where like somebody that could be watching it on TV goes, "Hey, can I ask you a question? This may be dumb." Like that's a that's a really good quality to have because I feel like people are doing that already on their television sets. What do you think? Well, I mean, we want to make geopolitics more accessible to people who may not have, you know, somebody in the military they can speak to or somebody who doesn't have a geopolitics background. And so, I mean, I obviously don't have that like Kervin has. So I I do ask those questions. They are just natural. They kind of come to me. I like having as much detail as possible. And it's important for us that everybody understand that we try to simplify things so it's easier for like the regular, like you said, the layperson to understand. Yeah. No, and that's what what's going on in the world. And that's what I appreciate about it. Kervin, why don't you, and let's stay on the track. Let's introduce each other's shows to the audiences that are listening. This is the first time we're going to do this on each of our respective RSS feeds. So Kervin, Tiana, why don't you guys explain, this week explained, what you guys do, what the show's about. Kervin, your background, go into it extensively because we've had you on the pod before, but obviously um, give us your history uh, working with and alongside the U.S. military. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me do that, Mike. Um, yeah, so that's where it all started, right? That's where This Week Explained started. It started about 18 years ago when uh, I got a message while I was in Iraq. I was deployed to Iraq, and a beautiful, beautiful woman. I'm going to be Trump here. I'm going to do a Trump statement here. Just beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous woman uh, messaged me. And we had some similar friends and we started a relationship. And that was 2004, 2005 timeframe. And so that's where it all started. I was in the military. Um, Tiana will speak more to this about how she was not ready to be in a relationship with someone in the military um, because of all the deployments and be, because of reactions that military personnel would have you know, or, or is portrayed to have in the media. And we, we developed that relationship and we got married. And from that marriage, we went out to Monterey. I studied Arabic and she didn't, I don't know if she really understood what she was getting herself into. Because if she really did, I, I would have said, do not marry this guy. <laughs> because 
through the first 10 years of our marriage, I was home for maybe five to six months of that whole 10 years. And we'll, we'll get into a lot of that. Um, there, there's some just great stories that, that we could tell about that. And that's how this week explain all started. Um, starting with going out to the defense language Institute in Monterey, California. This was, I'd love Tiana to, to talk about this entire situation with the army because we uprooted an entire family. Yeah, we got married, and she's pregnant at the time. And we just uprooted the entire family and moved to California so that I could study Arabic for the Army. And I know she would tell you that, I don't know if she was prepared for that, for the the move that we did in a U-Haul from New Orleans, Louisiana, to Monterey, California. I mean... I, I wouldn't say this week explain got started back then, honestly. I would say it was kind of it kind of grew out of our both of our fathers loved geopolitics. They loved talking to us about, you know, their stances on things. And they started becoming very ill. And so we started discussing with them, um, possibly starting a podcast. And they were all for it. They were very supportive of it. But, you know, with the when COVID happened, we kind of put it on the back burner. And as um, our fathers wound up passing away in the same year. And in order to process that grief, I think we needed that outlet. And we needed something. Well, I know this doesn't have anything to do with geopolitics, but I really think that was what pushed us into finally stepping into podcasting was that grief and we wanted to make our dads proud and we kind of and we also like we said we wanted to make it more accessible for people who may not have somebody in the military or really even an interest in geopolitics because it's mainly about just making the information easier to digest and simpler and like putting it in a format that you know it's easy to listen to so you're not you know you're not being bogged down with a bunch of, you know, opinions and stuff from the outside, you're able to fill, you know, form your formulate your own opinions because we try to report on both sides. But I, I really think that it actually came from it was a grief project for us, but it, that it turned into something a lot more because we honestly didn't think we'd be sticking to it this long. We did not imagine doing this for two years at all. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. But it all, like, I think people who would listen to our show would probably ask, "Well, why should I listen to you? What, you know, what experience do you have?" And and a lot of that's geared towards me because I say a lot of things that is would people would seem as opinion, and they would say, you know, whatever I say, you're right wing, you're left wing, and whatever you're saying, I I don't know about. But also with, with Tiana, though the reason why she's so important to the podcast is because of what I have put her through, honestly. Um, and, and some of the stories we could tell, like uh, back in 2012 or 2013, I went out, uh, no, it was 2011, I went out to Sinai in Yemen. She had no idea what was going on at that time. She just knew, you know, I have a bug out bag and I'm going to Yemen. 
And I couldn't tell her at the time where I was going. Yeah, yeah. But I, I did. was about to say, you yeah. should rein that in. Because I, I didn't have any idea where you were going. I wasn't allowed to know. Right. And that's her experience for most of our marriage was I'm going off somewhere and she didn't understand. And so at that point it was, she, you know, I got there and then she understood where I was, but that I had, I couldn't be there as a military personnel or an intelligence analyst. I had to have, you know, something else. I had to be there for something else. And what I told her was I'm there for, uh, to be an English teacher out in Yemen because I'm a I'm an Arabic linguist and so I can teach English out there and there's a story um, that she can tell a lot better than I can but I'll set it up so that she can tell it in that I, I was out there and I'm in what's called a skiff it's a secure location so there's no cell phones there's nothing like that I can only get in touch with her after shift after a 12 to 16 hour shift and um, all of a sudden she gets a message from a friend about something that's going on in Yemen. And I'm setting her up to tell this story about why I think she's so important to, to asking the questions and trying to identify what's actually happening on the ground in all of these geopolitical situations. Well, I don't know how that ties in, but I'll tell the story anyway, since you set it up. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I got a message from a friend who was, and she just casually texted me. And she was like, so how's Curvin doing? And I, completely oblivious, was, I responded to her. I was like, she, he's fine, I guess. I mean, I haven't really heard from him in a few days, but I think he, he's fine. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's fine. Less last I'd spoke to him he said he was just gonna you know go to work the next day and you know but he said that he was gonna be out of um contact and at the time I just thought she wanted to know how he was doing but it turned out her husband had found out that um an Arabic linguist who went to Yemen to teach English to people had been kidnapped and I believe beheaded and yeah, he was beheaded. Yeah, and he thought that it was Curvin since that was his whole cover to get into Yemen. And he was like, "You need, you need to just text her and find out what's going on." And but luckily, everything was fine. Obviously, you know, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still here. I got, I got to stop here. Yeah, yeah. that's what happens when you meddle some friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who hits you up and says? Hey, so how are things? Like that's the kind of thing. Like if Kermit's like having tea with a, like another woman or something, like what's up with that? No, if there's a possibility of your husband may have been like mutilated, there's a different way to sort of segue into that. I was just yeah, some issues with how this friend tries to you know Gladys Kravitz herself into this conversation. That's all I'm saying. I agree. Lead the lead with don't bury the lead. I mean, his head would have been chopped off. Ask that. Get to it already, right? So yeah, obviously, I wouldn't have wanted to find out from them. <laughs> that would have been that would have been less than ideal. But um, I think. Oh, but wait, this isn't the last. This isn't the the last time that this that I've done this to Tia. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't need to get into all that right now. We need like like, like Kervin like laughing about it. It's like this is a, that's like it's funny. Well, now. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. <laughs> right. 
Well, it's it's funny because I, I can relate because my brother-in-law is in the military right now. I can't tell you where he's stationed, but he just got back for the holidays. We're taping this, obviously, around the holidays. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to everybody who's listening to this. But um, it's very relatable. My sister goes through the same thing. She lives in Texas right now. And so kind of knowing where he is, talking to him late nights, you know, she'll appreciate it. She doesn't listen to my show that much. She says she doesn't follow politics, my, my ass. Uh, Loretta, if you're listening, uh, tune into this one. But um, it's it's very relatable for me because I know she's going through it. And that's kind of what I appreciate about the show. It's very, you know, not only family oriented, but it's also like your background. And it ties into our show with subject matter experts, right? Like listening to people who have done it before. You don't go get your oil change from your buddy who works at the deli just because he happens to know, well, you could get your oil change for cheaper. You know what I mean? You don't have him look at your car because just because he happens to know how to change oil. Like it's, it's why we started our show. We wanted to get more subject matter experts. And I told Nick, I'm like, Hey Nick, there's going to come a point where people don't want to listen to just you and I, we don't know anything that much. I mean, I just worked at Fox news and you, you know, you work at education at some point we have to get some subject matter experts that are going to come on this show and, you know, talk about some of these issues and stuff like that. So I appreciate that and the story as well. And I'm glad that Kervin still has his head. Um, and we'll get into how he uses his head in a little bit. Um, anything for us? What about us? What do I know? You guys, you two love our show, maybe Kervin a little bit more. Uh, if we were selling some merch, we know who would be buying most of it. Um, what is it that you like? I, I, I wanted to ask you this last time, like, what is it that you would truly appreciate about our show? Because Nick and I, Nick's laughing already because, man, you self-aggrandizing mother bleeper. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? I got like a, What do you mean? Well, he, he just said before he listens to our show, you know, that he, he, he hears the rants and he's been on it before. Like, there's got to be something that we're doing right. We've never asked, I've never asked anybody, hey, what is it that we're doing right that you like about our show? So here's two people that listen to it. What are we doing right? Do you think that about our show? I think it has to do with um, something you you might have said off air, which is it's like a married couple, and I really appreciate. So something that's not happening in geopolitics or politics as well is that just two people. I, I was going to say two dudes because you're two dudes, but Tien and I as well. We just sit down and we have conversations about it. And we probably don't agree with everything. That's what I love about it. So so I heard the last episode, Nick going on his rant, his five-minute rant after his the, you know trip to the Dominican Republic. That's honest, truthful, just passionate, emotional response to what's going on in the world. That's what I love about it. No one... So... What I really wanted to say was, for for Tiana and I, there's no other married couple who has a an intelligence analyst and a layperson who just go back and forth. There's no one else like you two, Mike and Nick, that just go at it with each other, and then you can go off air and talk and be like, that was awesome, that was great, that's what's so good about it. Those are the conversations that we need to be having. We we have reached a point in the United States where all of our arguments are destroying families. They're destroying friendships. 
and you don't have to have the arguments. You can have separate opinions about things. That's what I love about your show. So that's the bottom line. Um, what, what we say in the Intel community is put the bottom line up front, and I didn't do it. I did it at the end here. But you guys just have conversations. Conversations are important. Tiana and I have conversations. We have conversations on the podcast. We have conversations, just the two of us, and we don't always agree. And they could be, you know, drag out fights. Not really fights, but just conversations between the two of us, and we know where to, to stop it and say we're not going to agree, but we both have opinions that are valid. That's what I love about your show. You both have opinions. You know they're valid, and you can have the conversation, and you have people on, like myself, like other people within the media, within the State Department, who don't agree with you guys, who you can have conversations with. Those are the podcasts we should start having. I mean, Nick, I mean, you can just clip that. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> I don't need anything else. Uh, yeah. uh, somebody, somebody get the Simon eyes out yeah. so I can Simonize the hate. All right, guys. Uh, the Saints game is <laughs> yeah. on, so I'm going to get the chair. Right, exactly. Well, on, beh on behalf of the Raiders, we apologize for, for Dave. Uh, wow, I almost said David. See, yeah. never does that, but for Derek Carr. Please <laughs> take him back. Please take him back. No, no, that was no. not a, that's not a two-way street on that one. Yeah. You can enjoy the red zone failures. That's, we've dealt with that for nine years. Anyway, so for you both, something that you you know, Tiana, you mentioned, you know, in tribute to your to your fathers. Um, does this show also serve for you both as a way? Because Kervin, you mentioned that over the course of all those years of deployment, that over, I, mean, I think you, I think your math was like ten years, about four months, you know, being actually together. Is this show been a way to sort of like not? It's not a gap. I'm going to use the word though. Is it a way to sort of bridge that and sort of like be able to really come back together? But you happen to have a microphone on, so it just sort of. It just happens to be there, but a level of communication that, you know, for all those years was sometimes just hard to have in, in just such a distant space. I think that's that does help a lot for us because for many years we weren't able to have these conversations. I wasn't able to be privy to what he was actually doing whenever he was on his rotations or his deployments. And so now that he doesn't have those, you know, he doesn't have to travel as much. He still has to travel, but he doesn't have to travel as much. And that's all I'm allowed to know what's going on now. It is oh, it is easier to be able to sit down with him and point out a story that I that might a story that might be um upsetting to me or, you know, a conflict that's popping up somewhere and being able to sit across from him and talk to him about it and then maybe hear not much but he's able to tell me like a little bit maybe insider information he doesn't tell me a whole lot he's still sticking to what he needs to stick to um but I I I agree with that assessment I really do think that that was helpful and quite healing honestly because he was gone for so long and we weren't able to discuss these things openly for so long and now that we're able to do it we do it probably too much now <laughs> well listen it makes for a great podcast i'm sorry about both of your fathers and, and and that backstory and and i'm glad that something good came out of the pandemic you know obviously the pandemic was terrible but i always say this to nick 
like something good for us came out of it. We would always say this at worst, we have something to leave our kids to listen to, right? At best, we're adding to the discourse. So I love that you guys started this and I love the expertise that you bring. I want to dive into the expertise that each of our shows brings for our audiences. So we're going to do this. We're going to do two segments here. Uh, first, let's do the recent news about former President Trump being taken off of the Colorado, Colorado excuse me, ballot uh, by the Colorado Supreme Court in a four to three decision. We're going to talk about this, but first, let's hear how it was talked about across the news outlets. And here's Gail King from CBS News when it broke. The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that former President Donald Trump is not eligible to be on that state's Republican primary ballot and is, in fact, disqualified from being president again. In a 4-3 decision, the court ruled that Donald Trump violated the U.S. Constitution by inciting the mob that attacked the Capitol on January 6th. I love, as that sounds playing, Nick is texting me about Oprah Winfrey's best friend being a journalist. Um, we're going to move on from that. Uh, and you see Kermit nodding his head. He is the... He is Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to let it go. What she did, you know, with Kobe's passing—that was a stupid question. Okay, okay, Mister okay, Mr. Severi, we leave it there. Um, I do want to read something for you guys from the actual decision itself. So this this was actually in the written decision. It's 213 pages. You can go find it anywhere. I found it on NPR.org. More than three months ago, a group of Colorado electors eligible to vote in the Republican presidential primary, both registered Republican and unaffiliated voters filed a lengthy petition in the district court for the city and the county of Denver, asking the court to rule that former President Donald John Trump may not appear on the Colorado Republican primary ballot. Invoking positions, provisions excuse me, of Colorado's Uniform Election Code of 1992, and obviously we all know the election code of 1992 in Colorado, the electors requested that the district court prohibit Jenna Griswold, not to be confused with the Griswold family from uh, National Lampoon, in her official capacity as Colorado's Secretary of State, from placing President Trump's name on the presidential primary ballot, they claim Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, we're going to get into all of that, disqualified the president from seeking presidency. And so the court ruled 4-3. Now I'm not reading from the opinion anymore. They say that uh, he was ineligible under Section 3 because he engaged in insurrection on January 6, 2021. Before I get everybody's opinions on all this, and we do a little roundtable discussion on this, I do want to play the man who held the highest office in the land under the former president, as Attorney General Bill Barr was asked about this when he was on State of the Union. Excuse me, no, he was on the lead with Jake Tapper. Jake's got two shows. And this is what he said. Take a listen to this. As you know, I, I strongly oppose Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. But uh, I think that this case is, is legally wrong and untenable. Uh, and I think this kind of action of stretching the law, taking these hyper-aggressive positions to try to uh, knock Trump out of the race uh, are counterproductive. They backfire. As you know, uh, he, he uh, feeds on grievance, just like a fire feeds on oxygen. And this is going to end up as a grievance that helps him. All right. So we come back here. Now we're going to get a little bit of taste of what Can We Please Talk does. But also, I want to get the This Week Explained crew's opinions on this. So we're going to go uh, bottom uh, bottom corner to all the way around on my screen, which is we're going to start with Nick first, my co-host. So, Nick, um, you've actually met Bill Barr. You've heard him speak before. Uh, interest of full disclosure, we've invited the former attorney general on. 
we do have somebody coming on in the new year to actually discuss this, who was part of the Trump impeachment trial, the second one that happened. Uh, so more on that after the new year. But Nick, Colorado ballot taken off. There's the court of law. There's the court of public opinion. Donald Trump is probably winning that right now because of being removed from this. We're going to find out where this all nets out in the court of law. What do you make of it all? I don't, I mean, here's, yes, it's true. I, I mean, I, I didn't really meet, you know, Attorney General Barr, but that was a, a thing he spoke at a while back. Um, you know, I, it's hard to take someone seriously who took the Mueller report and turned it basically into a third grade, you know, book report, like about like three paragraphs. So that aside, there is there is truth to that idea about, well, the whole fire oxygen thing is true. I mean, you know, Trump is a gas bag. So like any slight against him, he will find a way to make himself the, you know, the aggrieved party. Um, look no further than the White House correspondence did in 2011. But the, you know, as I'm saying all this, I'm looking at, you know, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and it, it is a shaky ground. I'm not a lawyer. You know, and it's funny because I'm in a text group with a lot of my buddies from college, most of which Mike knows, um, who are all attorneys. And this has been a back and forth that they've all had. And, you know, one thing that's been brought up is, well, if you're going to apply this precedent here, would you also apply it to a precedent where if you've had a member of Congress also be a part of any form of protest? Because this is a loose interpretation of what we say the idea of shall have quoted from, you know, the 14th Amendment shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, the same being the state. It's a stretch. Um, I do agree with the former attorney general in that. Um, at the same time, what's interesting here is this is a Supreme Court that seems to lean on states' rights. I mean, they made it clear that with Roe versus Wade, the state should decide what a, a woman should be able to do with her body, which is obviously asinine. But but that's that's how it is, the Second Amendment. Same thing. Oh, no, no. The Second Amendment actually was more about making sure that no state can try to impinge upon the Second Amendment. So the court's pretty inconsistent with this in terms of which way they want to lead. In this case, it'll be interesting to see what that what the court does. I mean, forget political alliances aside. And they're very clear at this point. Everything we've learned from Sam Alito's quick turnaround on his decision, um, Justice, I'm forgetting his, um, it was one of forget, well, forget his name. I know who you're talking about. Cap yeah. No, the other uh, Gorsuch. Yeah, Gorsuch took about 10 seconds to make that, you know, to turn around his decision um, on the overturn of Roe versus Wade. We know which way they may go politically, but it, this is going to be a, a tough case to carry. And the other argument's going to come up, too, is that, you know, the way this is written, you know, this says here as a member of Congress, officer of the United States or a member of any state legislature, I think where this may hang a little bit is or as an executive or judicial officer of any state. And if we're going to say executive, technically the executive branch is the presidency. And that probably is where they're making this argument from. I do think this runs counter to what the Democrats may hope may happen. First off, the state of Colorado hasn't, hasn't elected a Democrat. The Electoral College in Colorado has not gone the way for the Democrats or for the Republicans since 2004. Right. right. So were those electoral votes going to go to Trump anyway? Who knows? But this could easily become a situation where you're going to start having members of Congress in red states, for example, Tennessee, that had three lawmakers kicked out because they had basically had, you know, basically questioned state legislature over, I believe, the Second Amendment. According to this, if this precedent holds, 
you could start having states like Tennessee or any Republican-leaning state start using this to throw out members of their own state legislature or even their, their own member of Congress. And I think that's where this gets really sticky. Um, I'm not going to say which way the, the Supreme Court will weigh in on that. I let that let the nine of them decide this. But yeah, my reaction at first was, okay, look, Colorado's made their own decision, so be it. But I don't know where the court will go on this. And I also think, too, that this does run the possibility of starting to have a complete free-for-all of people getting thrown out of Congress or the White House because a particular state feels a certain way about them in terms of an election. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Before I turn to the hosts of This Week Explained and get your thoughts on it, um, TV Mike here, I'm going to put my TV hat on, okay? This is what you have to do here, folks, when you go on TV. You have to play very umpire, or you got to call balls and strikes, okay? So I wouldn't say this on TV. I didn't vote for the former president, right, in either 2016 or 2020. You may be able to glean that a little bit. doesn't matter. But what I do know is that it is wrong to do this and overturn a lower court's decision because the lower court didn't wasn't able to say that he actually committed this. And he's not charged with this from Jack Smith's investigation and charges that came from that. He's not actually charged with insurrection. So saying that he participated in it, even though he's not charged with it or found guilty of it, that they shouldn't be ruling on something that hasn't happened. You know, there's always this thing in the court of law, um, and I'm, I'm saying this as a criminal justice minor who knows nothing about the law. Um, this There was always this saying that, like, they'll look at other states or case precedent and try to bring it in, you know, to when they're talking about, hey, the previous precedent from this case, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and that's why the court should rule in this decision. There is no precedent with this. We just mentioned it. We've never had this. He's not charged with it. So we're taking him off. Everyone that I've talked to in the legal community fully expects the Supreme Court to overrule this, probably unanimously, from what I've been told from some legal experts. Um, I think it's very unfair to do this, and it sets a bad precedent. Let the voters decide at the ballot box. Let the courts continue with his trials and figure out where that plays out. Kervin, you've been nodding your head. Um, this is very important here. We've got to figure out, I love that Vivek Ramaswamy told me that he's going to take himself off Colorado's ballot, to which I wrote, you're not making it to Colorado, so I don't even know what you're doing. But um, give me give me a little bit of what you guys think of this, uh, because I, I know this probably doesn't come up on your show, because obviously this is, this is U.S. politics based and stuff like that, but like, what do you make of this playing out court of law and court of public opinion, because now holidays, everyone's going to be talking about this. It's one state. It's always blue. It's never red. Like it truly doesn't matter because he was probably going to win, like Nick said, the electoral votes. But it does matter because it sets a bad precedent. What do you guys make of it? Deanna, you want me to go first? Well, I mean, I'll interject, but yeah, you yeah. go for it. Because I haven't read up too much on this, but I agree with everything Mike said. Honestly, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he hasn't been convicted of any of these crimes. And how can you punish somebody for something that they haven't been held accountable for yet? And right. who, who else would they put on the ballot if they don't put Trump? Like, who else? Who's the alternative? 
Does anybody well? Know it's it's only for it's only for primary uh it's voters. It's only for the primary. Okay, like right. I said, I didn't it's, read. Right, it's only for the primary. So like, so the other candidates that are again, and this is why we were joking about Vivek saying he's gonna take himself off the ballot. He he's not gonna be there because he's gonna drop out. But, right. And by the time this probably publishes, he may be out of here. So, um, because he, he, there's gonna be a consolidation after Iowa, of you know either Nikki Haley, DeSantis. Uh, Calling it quits, and then when they get to Colorado, Colorado is not till March. The the Colorado primary, so it's a long way from now. That's what, and this is this is the perfect thing, and this is why I like that you're here, Tiana, because there are people that don't understand that. Like they'll say, "I don't get it." So Trump can't run for president? No, no, no. Who said that? He can't. You know, he's he's running for president, right? It's one particular state, and it's only their state supreme court, and the case could still go to the U.S. Supreme Court and get overturned. So like, and the reason why this is going to get expedited is because the primary season is about to start. And so ballots have to be printed. And so, you know, because obviously it's 2024, we have to print actual ballots. So like, you're going to actually have to have Donald Trump's name on there where people can actually put it in or he's got to be written in because you can still write in, you know, the former president. All right, Kervin, what what, what, what do you make of it uh, as somebody in tune? I can, I can tell over here, you're not in your head. Then you're shaking your head, and I don't know if it's the Saints game or I don't know if it's the Donald Trump. So give me give me a little bit of what you're thinking. All right, I turned the Saints game off since we started this, so I'll get to it later. But um, all I want to say, so this is the problem I had with when when President Trump was president with the impeachment. This sets a bad precedent. We just want to we want to impeach him because we don't like him. Well, look what the Republican Party is doing now impeaching Joe Biden just because we don't like him. Uh, it, it's something that Tiana and I have had conversations about where we both agree on, where it's like, yeah, don't do not do that. Everything that has happened, so we got Trump. I, I tell this to, to friends of mine. You guys are now friends of ours. The reason we got Trump is because of what you did to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's the most vanilla candidate you could ever find in your entire life. And you said he was racist, sexist, he wanted to kill his dog, he's going to throw grandma off the ledge. And people believed it. And we got another four years of Obama. I think Obama did a great job as president. I think he was a great statesman. But the same stuff happened when Trump ran in 2016. The same comments started to happen. And people said, hold up, wait a second. You told me that Mitt Romney, who was the exact opposite of Donald Trump, I think we can all agree on that. Personality-wise, he's the exact opposite of Donald Trump. You said that Mitt Romney was the worst person. Now it's Donald Trump is the worst person. I do not believe that now. I don't believe you anymore. And that's why we got Donald Trump in 2016. The Democratic Party is doing the exact same thing in this election. They are trying to throw its Teflon Don all over again. You're trying to throw things at Donald Trump and it's not sticking because 33% of the Republican base is so Donald Trump made the comment in the 2016 election that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he would still get the same amount of votes. I disagreed with that when he said it. History has now proved that I was wrong on that. I really believe that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue 
and 33% of the Republican base will still vote for him. They could see the video footage and say, I don't believe that was Donald Trump. And then you you zoom in and, and high def and say, that is Donald Trump. And they'd say, well, he probably, he or she probably deserved it. That is where we're at right now. Teflon Don, everything that's thrown at him, he has gotten lawyers to, to have a judge not be able to convict him of it. This, what Colorado has done, is going to get Donald Trump elected in 2024. And if you like Donald Trump, that's good for you. If you don't like Donald Trump, you're doing the wrong thing. Well, he revels in this sort of coverage. He yep. likes all the he likes all this stuff being thrown at him. He, this is what this is his bread and butter. This is actually since this is how he got elected. I mean, the more inflammatory the the stories are about him, like I feel like people just cling to him tighter. Like they 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 don't want to believe that he <laughs> isn't the. I don't even know how to describe. What he thinks he is right now. Well, you know, Tiana, it's so funny that you say that because I, I was I was saying this on CNN recently about, and, and I didn't make the analogy totally properly, but so I'm going to do it now because live TV is a little bit different than a podcast. But, but just take, for example, you want to go work at a company and you know 30 to 40 people that all work there that have all been either let go or quit on their own volition, and they all tell you that the CEO is a moron, he's racist, he's whatever. Whatever version of him that they know, they're telling you this. And you still want to apply for that job, and you still want to work there. And then you work there, aka 2016, and then you see four years of working there, and then you want out. And now people are still saying, yeah, but you know what? It's like, wait, what? This is not me saying it. This is not us three saying it. This is the part I said on TV. It's like, these are people that worked there, that worked for him, that held high positions, defense secretaries, secretaries of states. Like, this is not Mike Leon, you know, podcast host saying this. Like, these are people that worked there, that have way more subject matter expertise than what we have. So that should be resonant. Well, to, be, to be fair, I mean, Rex yeah. Tillerson was the secretary of state, and everyone here is far more qualified than the oil magnet. I, no. Oh, can I chime in just for a second? Yes. Because it, I'm in the right in the military. Uh, I keep bringing it up. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, when when I was there, so 2016 happened, and who who did Donald Trump have? General Mattis. General Mattis is probably one of the most centrist, just hard line. He's a marine. He does not care what anybody says. He doesn't care what Donald Trump says to him. He's going to say, bleep off, and I'm going to tell my troops what to do. I remember when Mattis was uh, was promoted, every single person said St. Mattis. They had pictures with Mattis with a halo over his head. He was the guy. And then he pissed Trump off. And all of those pictures got taken off, and they said, the, the same people that promoted General Mattis, it, listen, General Mattis is just General Mattis. He does not care. He does not give a bleep what you think about him. But those same people took those pictures off and they said, well, General Mattis is a liberal snowflake. He's a left-wing nut job. That is not true. But that is what 
people, that is what that, I always put it up, 33% of the Republican voting base, that's what they will say without any fact, without any logic. Um, and, and I'm not right wing or left wing. I am very much centrist. I do not like either one of the candidates who are going to be put up for the presidential candidacy. I'm politically homeless. I think Tiana feels the same way. Uh, last election, you know, our votes didn't even get counted in the last election. We mailed them in. And in Virginia, if you mail it in, you can track your voting. Uh, it did not get put up there. So we didn't even get a vote in 2020. Wow. And so... What I'm saying here is take off your goggles, take off your ideology. That's that is a lot of you asked us why we started the podcast. That's a lot of what it is. I don't like the worldviews, the ideology, you know, skewing what's being put out there because the intelligence extremism on both sides. There is yeah. wing and right wing extremism, and it's killing this country and an intelligence analysis. You cannot have that bias. If you're going to give information to a commander to go out and put troops on the ground, I have I have talked to commanders. I have done these briefings to put troops on the ground. And if I had a bias in my analysis, those troops would have died. And that is terrible. And that's part of the reason why I think we that's why I and Tiana take politics out of our podcast. Because for us, it doesn't matter in in the global scheme of things. It's just what is happening and how is it going to affect your pocketbooks? Yep. That's why I love the show. That's why we're doing this. You know what? Let's take a break because when we come back, I want you guys to do what you do best. And we're going to analyze the global scale because the talking points in D.C. are always China's the next big threat. Well, President Xi said something recently according to to reports to President Biden about what he has in store for 2024. We're going to break that down when we come back after the break. All right, now we're going to break down the recent comments by President Xi to President Biden recently at when they did their, their joint summit back in San Francisco a few weeks back. According to reports, there was some comments made by President Xi to President Biden. I'm going to turn it over to Tiana because this is the focus of you guys' podcast. So I want to turn it over to you guys and, and we'll we'll play the uh, listener role here and kind of ask the questions to the military analyst here. So go ahead, John. OK, well, I think the major event, obviously, over the last couple of months was the Biden G summit in San Francisco. And now we are getting reports that during that summit, Chinese leader Xi Jinping told U.S. President Joe Biden not to get in the way because China is going to reunify Taiwan, whether through peace or by force. And that is a huge report. I'm sure it will not help the U.S.-China relations that are already ugh, not doing so well. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you, Kerwin, how do you view this event through the lens of geopolitics? And Kerwin, actually, before we get to you, let's play a clip from actually... Uh, something that President Biden said about the relationship with Xi Jinping. Take a listen to this. Look, I know a fair amount about foreign policy. I have more experience than any president's ever had. Doesn't mean I'm good or bad. Just I know these heads of state. It's a small world. It's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. And for example, China. China is a competitor, but 
I have a relationship with Xi Jinping. I've spent more time with him than any world leader ever has. Just because when I was vice president, Barack wanted me to get to know him because it wasn't appropriate for a president to spend time with him because but we knew he was going to be the president. He's a very tough, smart guy, but he's got enormous problems. And so, for example, when I put together the Quad, India, Japan, Australia, the United States, he said, you're trying to surround me. I'm not trying to surround you. I said, we're just not going to let you change the dynamic of world rules. So whether it's international airspace or whether it's sea space. So I didn't write them. I said, well, that's what they are. We're not going to change them. So many parts are moving that there's an opportunity to realign the world in a way that is less likely to result in war. Kervin, that was the president to Conan O'Brien. What'd you make? And what'd you make of Tiana's question? So, so let me say what I'll make about Joe Biden. So the beginning of that sounded a lot like myself, you know, a lot of years of experience. Uh, I, I know this stuff, so I know what I'm talking about. Um, but I so honestly, how I feel about Joe Biden, I don't know if he remembers what happened yesterday. So during the summit, you know, or I would say after the summit, Xi Jinping made a very what I would say dig very much a dig at Joe Biden. He made this comment that uh, got a little bit of play in the media. He said, uh, oh, I remember, you know, just as Joe Biden said, he re- he knows when Barack Obama told him to go talk to Xi Jinping because he's not the president yet, but he's going to be the president. Um, I think Xi made a little dig at Biden and said, I remember those. Con- I actually remember those conversations. I've thought about them long and hard, meaning. I don't know that Biden actually remembers those conversations. And that is Xi Jinping. He's very charismatic. He is a very diplomatic presidential uh, person on the global stage. And so uh, Tiana asked the question about how how is this view, uh, this event is viewed through the lens of geopolitics and, and Chinese relations. Well, Xi just said the quiet part out loud. You know, we all know this is coming. We know what China's going to do. Um, what we don't know right now is how it's all going to play out. I know from personal experience and the work that I still do as a consultant that the U.S. and its allies are wargaming this entire scenario, the Chinese problem. The fact of the matter is that the, the U.S., as it stands today, we're not going to sit back. The U.S., with the administration that's ha- happening right now, if Xi were to invade today, we're not sitting back. We're not going to allow these aggressive actions from China. There's just not a lot that we know about the future of Taiwan. We don't know what's happening. So it's tough for me to make a prediction on how it's all going to play out. I say this all the time. Humans, as much as we want to say that we understand humans and human nature, we don't. We don't understand how humans are going to react to certain situations. Just have to make a prediction there. I, I want to say that Taiwan is going to go through elections in January, and that is going to be a key date for Xi Jinping. That's going to be a key date for the entire world. Well, I mean, do you want to get into the wargaming conversation now? Would that be okay? Well, I think Nick, I, I think Nick had a, a question as well, too. Okay. Yeah, Kerber, what is what is Taiwan's value to China? Oh, there's a ton of value. So the the main value for China is uh well, first of all, it's a global view 
that China's untouchable no matter what happens. They can do whatever they want. The second thing is we, so everything that we have, your cell phones, your computers, your laptops, the chips that are made to create these devices, that is created exclusively right now within Taiwan. So China's made a big push for Africa because they want to pull the resources from Africa, pull all of those things that create the chips, but they need a manufacturing point. Taiwan is that manufacturing point right now. And that's the biggest key for China to reunify with Taiwan. See, a good explainer as to why it's so important. What what do you make then about members of Congress, some on both sides of the political aisle, and some that have been on our show as well, that feel like China is the biggest threat and that we're not paying attention enough to them. There's been some subcommittees in Congress. Uh, I know you guys always tend to lead off with the Russia-Ukraine war and how important it is uh, with respect to the global economy and stuff like that. You've been also covering the Israel-Hamas war and the politics around that. But China is sitting there in the background. Now you have these comments. This is, in news terms, we would call this the B block, right? Because all of a sudden now we talk about the Trump Colorado stuff. And then next we go to what she said. Like, what do you make of China being this, this are they this big boogeyman enemy as everyone's making them out to be? Like, obviously they're a competing superpower. Like, what do you make of it all? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I I have continued to talk about China as the biggest adversary. And there's a reason for that. The reason is because China views the U.S. as their biggest adversary, which means the U.S. believes that China is their biggest adversary. Now, it was when Obama was president, 2012, uh, even before 2012. If you remember, there was that conversation that uh, that Barack Obama had where he didn't know it was so it was a hot mic conversation where he said, hey, I'm going through a reelection and this was Russia, right? This was this the same thing that Mitt Romney said. Russia is the biggest threat to the U.S. That's all shifted. Russia is a threat to the U.S. It's it's a threat to the to the West. But China has now positioned themselves as the biggest threat to the U.S. Every exercise that I consult on. The threat that we are looking at is China. So if the U.S. military is continuing to do war gaming, they're continuing to do exercises that pushes the threat of China. From an intel position, that means something is happening within China. So it is going to happen. China is going to try to reunify Taiwan into China. And I think what Nick was trying to get at, and I hope I did answer the question from Nick uh, enough, but what Nick was trying to ask is, what does it matter? Why does it matter? Because we're not putting troops on the ground in Ukraine to fight, you know, to fight Russia. We're not putting troops on the ground in Gaza to fight Hamas. Why would the U.S. put troops on the ground or troops in the sea in the Indo-Pacific to combat China? And it is because China's plan, Xi's plan, is for a complete control of the Indo-Pacific. And so you have countries, think of the Indo-Pacific. There are some major 
economies within the Indo-Pacific, Japan, South Korea, Australia, our friends in New Zealand. These are all economic players who have done imports and exports with China. They were friendly with China. And now that they're seeing China's being a little too aggressive, they want to take Taiwan. They're not going to stop there. They've already had plans with Vietnam. They are bullying the Philippines. They are trying to establish what's called BRICS Plus, these, uh, this new economy that has Brazil, Russia, India, um, South Africa, and China. And they're expanding it to places like, oh, by the way, the border of the U.S. is Mexico. They have engaged with Mexico to be part of BRICS Plus. What does that mean? They are taking the fight to the United States. That's why I think it's so important. That's why I keep harping on China. And I want to say when I harp on a country, I am not harping on the people in that country. I am talking about the government of that right. country. Right. You know what? Can I ask something? I just thought of this right now. Nick, you'll remember this. And we had presidential historian Dr. Lindsay Chervinsky on the podcast last year. I asked her, presidential historian hat, do me a favor, give me the good and the obvious bad of the Trump administration. The first thing she said in the good category was he made us reevaluate our relationship with China. So let's ask the military expert here. Is she right? Is she wrong? Because is it a broken clock is right twice a day type of thing that Trump was saying that that he's going to make China, you know, whatever he was going to impose from a tariff sanctions perspective, like he made us reevaluate the relationship. Now, again, this is a presidential historian, nonpartisan, sits there and analyzes the presidential records and things that they've put into office, whatever it is. And that's the first thing she said. And it came to mind right now. And here we are. We're about to get into 2024. I'm not trying to help Trump get elected. Clearly, we just mentioned that before. But you just said they're our biggest adversary. The U.S. sees them as our biggest adversary. Here's the front runner for the GOP party that has been saying it since he started his campaign in 2015. What do you make of it? Mike, are you way off? Or Mike, you know what? You are right. No, no, Mike, you're right. And I will also say, because a lot of people will push back and say, yeah, well, you know, Trump is a Russia guy. He's a Putin guy. I did overt. So let me just talk about covert. You know that we all know that CIA or undercover and all that kind of stuff. I did overt anti-Russian aggression in Poland. That was established by Donald Trump. So I'm not trying to get anybody elected in this, but I do want to clarify some things about Donald Trump. He's not a Russian plant. We all know he's not a Chinese plant. His foreign policy actually was better, a lot better than I thought it would be. You know, he did the Abraham Accords for Israel. There was peace in the Middle East and a lot of this stuff. But he did recognize as a businessman that China take, so China's got billions of people there. And he understood that businesses in the United States would go to China if they would get you know, better taxes or better economic benefits to go to China. And I, I honestly agree with the presidential historian that you had. 
his reactions towards China was viewed from the Democratic Party as racism and as, you know, he just wants to be a dictator and this kind of stuff. He was right about China. And he knew that because he was getting those intel reports. That's why I think an unbiased intelligence analysis is so important. He was getting those reports from the CIA, from the DIA, that, listen, Xi Jinping is looking for, he's got a 20, it all started with a 2040 plan. There was a 20, so the year 2040 was the reunification plan for Xi Jinping. By 2019, that was moved to 2030. By 2022, that was moved to 2025. As it stands right now, my analysis, my prediction, is a reunification of Taiwan or a, a attempt to reunify Taiwan into China by 2027. Think about where we are right now, 2023. 2027 is very close. And President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump understands the issue. China is the biggest major uh, adversary for the United States. From here, Tiana, I'll let you jump in here. So like normally I'll splice this out, but now you can jump in. So we're, we're all back. Go ahead. I mean, he pretty much articulated what I would have said anyways. I mean, I usually whenever I chime in, it's because I've got a counterpoint to what he to what he's saying. But I I I mean, I agree with that with what right. he said. So I mean No. I mean you got you guys you guys should get more into it. Well, do you want to bring up do you want to talk about the war gaming? Well Yes. I mean, so bring that up. So so oh, let's start talking about war gaming. Yeah, so let's st so stop right here. And then start with the war gaming. Like, just just pretend like you were going to go ahead and ask a question. Well, let's just get right into the war gaming conversation because you have been involved in some of these exercise exercises and the war games several times. Whenever you go off and you travel, that's what you're doing is you're war gaming. <laughs> so first, are you at liberty to? say which side wins during these war games because i know i you've never told me the result in any of them and so explain and explain it too like oh, yeah. well yeah. audience because what, what is a war gaming uh, besides me and nick playing risk uh, now and then back in college <laughs> it reminds me of that matthew broderick movie war games <laughs> i love that movie yeah which was a russian based right so so russia was the big enemy that was the cold war um and, and now it's china and as always, you know, Tiana's holding my feet to the fire because, like she said, I don't tell her these things. And so she wants to get it on the podcast so that I do tell her. Um, and a lot of the times it's to protect the people that I love most because I don't want them to be in fear. But what I can say, um, so at least for the U.S. military, I'm not going to talk to other militaries. I've worked with Japan and South Korea uh, the UK, other militaries like that, but for the US military, uh, the, a war game's not a predictive exercise. We're not trying to predict what's going to happen within the war. What usually happens is uh, the allied portion of the war game is significantly handcuffed, uh, and then the opposing side is given the best case scenario. So 
I I will be very vague about this, but a recent war game I I went through the the adversary military. I'll be like I said, I'm going to be very vague about this. The adversary military's equipment worked a lot better than the U.S. military equipment. That's used probably not going to happen, right? If you if you talk to an F-35 pilot and you understand the F-35, that is the premier piece of aircraft equipment. So in this war game, those were getting destroyed at a high pace. That usually won't happen, but there, there's a reason for that. And, and so with that knowledge, usually the U.S.-aligned forces, they just get obliterated in all of this. muted <laughs> yeah sorry all right so th th there's another e exit point here I, yeah. I want i want to start like let nick chime in here because he made a face so oh no yeah no i'm, I'm just preparing my affairs i mean it's just shit no. No. <laughs> no um i i tend to i mean i'll, I'll share where i i mean like i echo the same view about china it's the one thing i i would say that um i did sympathize with where trump was coming from um my contention's always been that he's incompetent, so you can't trust whatever he... He can have a great vision, but his track record for executing on it is so poor that why would I assume it's going to work? Um, which is why I said the broken clock twice a day type of thing. But again, that's a that's a huge broken clock. That's the that's the big Ben of all broken clocks, if we're going to give the analogy. Kervin, you were talking about like allied forces for a moment. Is it fair to read, like, I read the tea leaves these days, I think about Putin, I think about Ping, my, you know, I'm, I'm Indian, my parents are both from India, I think about Modi a little bit, um, even though my parents, I have very different views about, they tend to look at him a lot more favorably than I do. You Are we running a situation, are we running the risk of these outsized personalities starting to represent something that feels a little similar to the axis of the 1930s and 40s, where we have folks that are very adamant about national identity and are very willing to either try to reunify with territory or or feel that it's just their god-given right to acquire more territory similar to the you know mike jokingly referred to risk but like are we sort of re-entering a scenario where there are these personalities out there that potentially are fighting within other sort of kindred spirits to form what i would consider i guess a new axis so the first thing i want to say is can we just stop calling everybody hitler like I do not see a Hitler right now. There is not a leader of a nation that is looking, uh, except for maybe Iran, that is looking to destroy 6 million Jews, tons of of different what they would call uh, people who were different bloods and stuff like that. I don't see a Hitler right now. But what I do see, what Nick brought up, which I, I definitely agree with, is that we are headed to the exact same uh, scenarios of World War II, an axis and an allies. You've got, all these countries are aligning with each other. That That's just a fact. China, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, Colombia, they are all getting aligned with each other. And then the US, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Canada, are all being aligned. We are heading very quickly to a global conflict because despite what China will say, 
that we can all exist as one. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And all of these leaders want that absolute power. And so I, I'm very glad, Nick, that you brought up India. India is one of my most fascinating countries in this entire geopolitical spectrum because they have disputes with China. They've also got disputes with the United States, right? The, the United States have called them out for you know, murdering people, whether they did or not. But that's going to be litigated. So India is standing in this. We have border disputes with China, but we also have disputes publicly with the United States. I'm, I'm very fascinated with India, and I would love to get Nick's aspect on what he's hearing, maybe if he has any insights on, on how that's playing out. Yeah, I mean, the thing that stands out about where Modi is with, with India is the idea of a Hindu nation. Um, it's particularly jarring. to th So let's use China as an example. You know, we, you know, we bag on the Chinese, the government as being communist, right? But historically, I mean, that's really rooted in, in a sentiment of being anti-Western. That when, like, if we go back to like the Boxer Rebellion, for example, like there was a time where like European, inf European influence in the Far East led to, you know, what seemed like the erosion of culture. So when China finally gets its act together and they decide to be a communist country, essentially to be like insular. Like it was essentially a version of never again. And India is starting to kind of enter a very similar place. Like Modi represents a, an idealism that is to say we are we are Hindu first and foremost, which is fascinating because it's a country again that has a large Christian, you know, base in the south, right? You also have a very large Muslim population. You know, since the partition between India and, and Pakistan in nineteen forty seven, it's never been I mean, you have this just line in the sand, right? But you have Hindus and Muslims who have lived together. And what's happening now, at least my, the way I read this, is that you know we're looking at Muslims, you know, less favorably, because the idea is that India is developing its own identity. Now, I understand that sentiment in the sense that you want to be your own country. Again, they were, you know, they've been liberated since 1947. As far as I understand, it, but at what cost? Because what we see with China is, I mean, a constant uptick in human rights violations. And always falls under the idea that well, we're doing it for us. But at what point do you sort of look at that from the outside review and say, well, that seemed bordering on tyrannical. Now, the, the scare, I mean, what's amazing with Modi is that we're not at any place where the elections are telling us that he's losing ground. I think he may have, I think the state of Uttar Pradesh, I think, went a different way in terms of like their, how their elections turned out. But he's still immensely popular. And... It just, yeah, it's fascinating to me because previous leaders in that country, you know, they tend to be not necessarily westernized, but there's more of an emphasis around democracy, around the rule of people, around like having a government in place. Modi's a populist and populists tend to be the people who tend to sell you on the lie of, well, I do this for the people like Bane and the dark Knight arrives, right? Like I'm giving the war, I'm giving the land back to the people. And that's always code for. We're going to have a centralized government. We're going to allow for no intrusion from anywhere else. We're probably going to suspend elections because we don't trust you people. And you can trust the government to take care of you. It's the greatest. It's one of the greatest con jobs we've ever seen between fascists and communists because they accuse each other of essentially doing the same thing. And I'm not saying that India is heading in that direction. But I'm always a little nervous when I hear of a country that's trying to strive for a, an identity that's tied into sort of 
like ethnogeography, because it's eerily similar to, say, Iran in the 1970s. You know, you have the Shah deposed or like leaves, and immediately you have the Ayatollah. You have a religious fanaticism that takes hold to this day. Do we run the same risk in India of having that same direction? I don't know, but I'm not bluntly said, I'm not excited about a a perspective of that we are proud to be this because India, at least part of it for me, was that like you were the great experiment, like as a as a non-white country to establish a strong democracy, to come out of the shadow of Great Britain, like this was the hope. To say instead that we're going to really double down and really establish our identity, I, it, there is a cost to this. And I think that's what Muslims in India are currently experiencing. Well, listen, um, I can do my Bane impression right now if you guys want me to do it. So we give it back to you, the people of Gotham. Um, it's a very good impression. Uh, and I did, while all of this is taking place, because we're going to be signing off here, this has been fantastic to hear Kervin, your expertise, you know, we've deferred to you a lot on it. Tiana, I love the way you you get into these questions and ask this layperson view, this person sitting on the couch. It's very, by the way, it's very similar to my wife. And now, you know, she'll ask me a question. What do you think of this? And it's like, well, you know, and then I have to go into it. And then it's, it's, it's putting somebody on the spot, which I kind of like about it. And Kervin, you do a great job with it. But I did want to ask you before we actually sign off here, final message for each of us respective show audiences about our shows. First, I'm going to turn to you guys. What is something that you would want to impart uh, to the folks out there, why they should listen to This Week Explained? And then we'll go after you guys. Sienna's pointing. She wants me to go first on this one. And I, I will bring it back to when, Mike, you had me on. And you asked me, why is it important? Why is geopolitics important? And I said, well, first of all, it's a national security thing. But if you're not worried about national security and you're worried about your pocketbooks, geopolitics affects your your pocketbooks. And that has played out since we did that episode. Look at the Red Sea. Look at what is going on with the Houthis in Yemen. They are destroying container ships. They are rerouting container ships. That is that's an issue. They are going hundreds of miles outside of where they usually go. That's going to cost money. If it costs the business money, if it costs the corporation money, you know it's going to cost you, the layperson, the the regular, look, list me. I go to the grocery store and I know what it costs. I know what it cost a year ago and I know what it costs today to buy eggs, milk, all of that stuff. Geopolitics matters. And so, Yes, listen to This Week Explained. I know we only do it once a week, but I do think that we wrap everything up uh, in a concise manner and that we give you all the information over the weekend that you can go to your job on a Monday morning and say, I know what you're saying, but I've heard from an expert. I have heard from a person who understands how to ask questions, to ask the right questions and get the right answers for all of this. So now I'm going to pass it off to Tiana to to promote the episode to promote this week explained in all of our episodes uh we also do promote all of them well we also do insightful inquiries which we've had uh someone like mike baker who is a cia professional former cia guy andrew bustamante 
former CIA guy. We've had Cole from New Zealand, a New Zealand intelligence analyst, an expert in open source intelligence. We're getting to the heart of what's going on. And I think that, no, we're not a self-help podcast. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to what we're saying, you can help your pocketbooks. Well, like I said earlier, for me, and the reason why I I do it, it's to make geopolitics digestible to the regular person, to the common man, to you know people who don't have a background in this sort of thing, like me. <laughs> and I also like to have as much detail as possible. I like to hear reporting on both sides. We try not to, I mean, we give our opinions on our podcast, but we don't shy away from that. But we do report on both sides so that our listeners can formulate their own opinions without us pushing a certain narrative upon them. So uh, obviously, if you want to listen to geopolitics in little, little teeny tiny little bites, and they're easy to listen to really quick to get through all the just all the important information in one little short little show, you should give us a listen. Love it. I love to sell. All right, now it's time for us to sell your audience as to why this show matters. Nick, I'm going to have you chime in. You not, you not along, but I'm going to tell people why we started this show. It's real simple. There's a Jewish women's podcast called Can We Talk? And I always say they forgot to add the please. And that's why I threw it in there. And I called it Can We Please Talk? Because I think people need to start talking again. But when we talk, we need to talk as if this is right and wrong. This is fact or fiction. So there is no such thing as my facts, your facts. There are the facts. That's it. That's the way I live. Okay. The sky is blue. The sun is yellow. If our conversation starts off with understanding that both those things are true, then we can continue. If you think that the sky is red and the sun is green, I can't talk to you anymore. And also, I think everyone should know that you think the sky is red and the sun is green. And so Nick and I started this show because we wanted to get at the crux of not everything is R&D. Most of the time, it's right and wrong. So what is right? What is wrong? If you want to ride the information train and learn along with us about the subject, that's why we started the show. Journalists, correspondents, legal analysts, best-selling authors, people that worked in the military like her, and all of these different subject matter experts, we bring it to the show. That's what we want to do. If you want to learn more and get an informed perspective on it, this is not just some person that's just sitting there, did their own research, as everybody has you know, kind of weaponized that term about doing their own research when it comes to this. And we're seeing it just, for example, with RFK, you know, look, he's an environmental lawyer. If I want to learn more about the environment and the legal challenges behind that, there's nobody better to talk about it than that. He's not a subject matter expert in vaccinations. He knows nothing about epidemiology. He knows nothing about molecular biology. That's where I base it on. That's exactly where I base it on. And it's the reason why that now that this show has started to take off, it's truly what I want people to take away the most from us. It, you know, I, I am a radical centrist. I wouldn't say I have no home politically, but I am slowly starting to realize that I'm a single issues voter, which we're starting to see the trend on. And so one issue will matter to me the most important and a candidate that I identify with that is what, you know, I will potentially vote for. But when Nick and I started this show, I told them, I said, people are lazy and it's not them. It's their search habits. 
It's the way they get information. And they're not doing what I would do as a journalism major. Nick and I both graduated from the School of Communications at Rutgers. Nick is a CSB graduate, Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Like, you get two sources on or off the record. An editor reviews it. You don't just hit send and push that out there because you may have to retract it. You've got to make sure that it's right and that it's factual, that everything is on the up and up. And that's why we started this show, because we want it to be on the up and up. And if it's not, email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? Nick, what do you have to chime in before we sign off here about the Can We Please Talk podcast? Come on, pump us up here. Tell us why yeah, you, know, you love our show. I think about, I mean, the, the example I always come back to is, um, and I don't know if this is from a journalism class or not at Rutgers, but you know, like Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you know, for anyone who's familiar with the idea that, you know, oftentimes, you know, you could have, see, I see Kervin nodding his head because you get you know, sort of where I'm about to share with this, is this idea that we often let others tell the truth for us. Like their interpretation, what they're telling us we see is what we interpret as fact. So Mike has a television background. I despise television. If I, if I, if it was just up to me other than live sports, I really have no desire for it. I'm a radio podcast person. I'm a radio junkie by, by nature. Um, and I think in many ways, televised news has been more harmful than helpful. My hope with this show was the idea that, well, what happens if you pull by, if you pull the curtain back and we just show like the man behind like the screen. Right. And I think, you know, Mike is able to sort of take us through that. Like unveiling, I'm trying to make the allusion to the Wizard of Oz, but you know, following along here and television in many ways, from the chirons we see to the way talking points are shared, we're doing a lot of thinking and programming for people. And at some point, we've moved away from being having an informed discourse. And our hope here was to be able to bring that into this space. Uh, yeah, Mike and I don't necessarily agree on like we're not down the middle opposed on many things, but there's there's things we don't necessarily agree with. But Kervin, to your point, like we wanted to have just an informed conversation and like many shows are, we stood out in the idea of, okay, we text constantly. Should we just turn on a mic and see what happens? The difference for us though was if we're going to do this, let's be committed to it. Let's talk to informed people. Let's make sure we're both informed to the best of our ability to the given topic at hand. And let's keep this informative. Let's keep it fun. You know, the example I gave when we first started the show was, you know, imagine like Jesus and Mero and NPR had a baby. And that's basically what we want it to be. Um, I think it's now moved to like, well, what happens if like PTI actually like lived on CNN? I think that's kind of what we've become. And uh, and I'm proud of that. Now we, we enter almost like 200 episodes. So if you are considering a show that takes like a bite-sized view, like news and, you know, just current events, and you want it from a place that is, you know, is a little open with its political leanings, but is making sure that we land the plane in a way that you walk away informed and eager to learn more and not swayed either side. Then we have a home for you. I can we please talk? That's right. It's it, it's it's your first and not your last stop on the information train. That's the way we tell people to come listen to our show. Okay, we're gonna leave it there. Like I said, go check out this week. Explain. Download episodes of the pod. If you're on the This Week Explain feed, please come listen to the Can We Please Talk podcast. More crossovers will be coming from us in the new year. Tiana Curran, I can't thank you guys enough for hopping on with us and giving us time. Continue success to you guys and a happy new year and a healthy to you and your family. Thank you so much for having us. 
Yeah, it's like, a lot of thanks. fun. This is my first time yeah. <laughs> coming on a podcast. Thanks. So thank you. I had to. I needed to get out of my comfort zone. So I appreciate you guys letting me do that here. No, <laughs> Cut you, my teeth here. <laughs> you guys do a great job. So go check out their show. Go check out our show. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. We'll see you all next time.